You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. We're so excited to be part of the retreat again here in 2020. It's going to be in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, October 14th to 17th, and we'd love to have you there. I understand plans are a little uncertain right now as you're hearing this episode, but uh, we'd love to have you keep it in the back of your mind. It is in October, so there's still plenty of time for things to kind of clear up and, and be ready for you to join us, and we'd love to have you there. You can check the details in the show notes, and make if you hit the link there in the show notes, you can get 10% off your tickets. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by Brent Bergham. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well. I guess I can say under the circumstances doing well, because <laughs> right? yesterday the wife went to Walmart and actually was able to buy some toilet paper. Yay! Oh, my... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We want everyone out there listening to make sure that they are safe. We also want to have help you get your creative juices flowing. We talked about this in the last episode. We're going to repeat some of that information at the end of the show. So you want to stay tuned for the bottom of the show to see how it is. We want to help you get your creative juices flowing. Um, Brent, I wanted to start off this episode answering a question from... yeah. Kenny Huffman. He's a, a longtime listener. Known Kenny mm -hmm. for a bit now. He's an alumni of the Create Photography Retreat. And uh, he asked a question. He, he wanted to know, um, he said, any method of focusing on the eye doing self-portraits? A really good question and something that would probably be helpful for a lot of listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with even doing portraits, but now they're maybe at home. And if you're all by your lonesome at home, you may not have anyone there to help you kind of get that all set up. And so his question is a great one about well, how do I get focus? How do I make sure I nail the focus when it's just me, when I'm the one setting it all up and, and I'm all by myself and I want to create a, like a professional looking photo, one that you can enter into our photo contest that again, we will talk about at the bottom of the show. And so I thought I'd walk through kind of my thoughts there. And I would love your kind of input along the way, Brent. Does that sound good? Yeah, this sounds like a really good challenge. Yeah. So I, I, in, encouragement, that's another part of this. I want to encourage listeners out there, if you haven't done much in the way of portraits, a lot of other types of photography are kind of difficult to do, <laughs> given the current <laughs> environment. So this is something you could totally do. Now, it does take some equipment to actually get the truly professional look. So we'll, we'll talk about that first. We'll talk about the equipment. And that can be a challenge if you don't have some of this equipment. But you can try to do this without all of it. And I'll, I'll try to do my best to talk about how you might be able to, to make that happen. Uh, but we're, I, I want to go all the way to like a professional self-portrait. How would what would you need equipment-wise, and what kind of steps? So I even I came through and I I came up with twenty steps that I would say, and th these are like really detailed steps. So it's not like tw all twenty are, are a massive amount of work. It's it's like literally one one little tiny thing at a time, twenty different steps to get there. And how I'd recommend you go about doing this. And I'll, I'll be interested to get your feedback along the way, Brent. So let's start off with equipment. Um, the first thing that you're going to need to create a professional self-portrait, you're going to need a space to do it in. <laughs> That's going to be the first requirement. You got to have some spot to do this in. And, and it needs to be probably a little larger than you're thinking it needs to be. 
you need enough space that you can have like a an uncluttered background and have room for lights on the sides and enough room for your camera to be back away from the model you uh to fit you in and it, it's probably going to take a little bit more space than you might initially be thinking you also want to make sure that that space is uh as color neutral as possible so like white walls if you can if, if it's a room that has a blue wall that's not going to be <laughs> real nice to to have unless you're going for like a blue tone to your portrait then then that would be kind of fun to, to try that out but a space that uh, that's going to be conducive to doing this um tape and we'll get to where i'm going to you're going to need to use tape it could be masking tape uh it could be gaffers tape that's kind of the tape photographers tend to use but uh, some kind of tape, scotch tape, probably wouldn't work very well. I'll, I'll explain why. But some kind of masking or duct oh. tape or something. Um, a camera. You're going to need a camera. <laughs> Any kind of mirrorless <laughs> or mirrored camera uh, would, would do. You could try to follow these kind of techniques with like a smartphone too. It just It's way more challenging to make that to happen, especially when we're going to add flash. Uh, a tripod. Absolutely going to have to have a tripod because we're assuming all of this is you by your lonesome so you can't hold the camera and take the picture like there's not a selfie stick to make that happen and hold it still and <laughs> that's just not going to work well so so you're going to need not, a not tripod. for the kind of pictures we're looking at anyway right right it's not a professional <laughs> one take all the selfies you want with your smartphone just using your you hand bet. your arm is the selfie stick but uh we're talking about up in your game just a little here um, okay, flash and indoors is what we're assuming you're doing and flash is going to be tremendously helpful. Like I said, you could probably do something without it. If you don't have a flash, then it makes it a little more challenging, but you can use a window and uh, we'll, we'll try to talk through that. Um, modifiers. So in particular, a softbox, at least one would be a really good modifier, but a shoot through umbrella could also be really good here. Uh, something to uh, to modify that light, turn the flash into as big a light source as possible. So we'll, we'll talk in detail about that. A reflector would be really nice to be able to try to make it so that the shadows in the, in the portrait you're taking aren't as dark. Uh, we don't want to eliminate them, but we want to lighten them up and a reflector can help there. Uh, the eighth thing is light stands. You got to have these light held, lights held in position. Again, if you don't use lights, then this is not going to be needed. But um, if you do have flashes, obviously you can't hold the camera up and be in the picture. You can't hold the lights up and be in the picture either. And then a backdrop of some kind. Blank wall can work for sure. Uh, or a, a non-distracting kind of background can work. But even better if you do happen to have a backdrop and a background that you can put on it. So we'll, we'll talk through kind of how to make that work. All right. That's the basic equipment list I came up with, Brent. Anything you would suggest? Well, the only thing that I want to, at least myself, uh, I guess we can say emphasize is that idea of if you don't have a flash and you want to use that window. And you already mentioned that, of course. But I also will want to put in a few things. What do we do to modify that light coming through the window? Sure. There's some things we can look at there as well. And, yeah. So like uh, the... that's that's something that I'll be looking to to hover around a little bit. Okay, but as far perfect. as anything else, the only thing I could otherwise think of is some kind of remote trigger. Ah. Yeah, okay. And I described so I, I have a, a way that we can do it without it. But that is a, you know what's it's a good enough thing. I'll make sure that I'm gonna add that to the list. Uh, that would definitely uh, reduce the amount of time it's going to take to do all of this because yeah. my suggestion was was a timer. But I'll, I'll, we'll get to that in the steps. 
Okay, and, so and it can be your cell phone. Many cameras today sure. connect to your cell phone. So which whichever way you can do it, a, a remote trigger option really just makes it helpful and makes it more convenient to get this done. Very, very true. Okay, I like it. All right, so let's start with the steps then. Um, so the, the the first step, finding that space. That was the very first thing I came up with. And again, we're assuming this is you by yourself. Um, the, those requirements that I already talked about, a, a big enough space that you can set things up. Um, I've seen, I, I kind of looked around just to see what other people recommended just to add to my, you know, make sure I wasn't missing anything as I came up with my list. I came up with my list first and then I was trying to look around. And I saw some recommendations saying like the the bare minimum is probably a room that's about four foot by six foot would be about the smallest size. <laughs> that feels a little cramped to me. That, I think that feels cramped for sure. Yeah, I think if I was trying to go in a four by six, that would be a challenge for, for and, me. And, and we're, I assume, talking zero furniture in this yeah, room, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I, I think that's a, a bit small. It probably needs to be a little uh, bigger than that. And especially, you got to consider if you're using a crop sensor camera, you're going to need even that much more space to be able to distance yourself from your subject and and have everything fit. So um, full frame shooters will have a bit of an advantage here, where the the space requirement isn't quite as big as it will be if you're a crop sensor shooter. Yeah, unless they want to go for that more portrait look anyway as well, where they have the longer lens. So it's just that. You know, if you only have that six foot space, you're probably going to be on a 35 to 50 millimeter lens if you're on a um, on a full frame camera. And that's just that's just a little bit different of a look, too. Right. Right. That's fair. OK, so finding that space is going to be kind of your first step now. And then you, you really kind of need to plan on taking over that space for the You know, while you're shooting, there's there, you're not going to use it for anything else. You you want to have a distraction-free background and have your lights up. And it's going to take some time to go through these steps, especially if you're all by yourself. There's a lot of setup here that is going to take some time going through. That remote trigger could really cut it down. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Brent. Okay, the, the, number, the number two step. Uh, put the camera on the tripod. And I recommend that you put it on in portrait orientation. So that's like, you know, different from what, how you normally hold your camera probably, where it's uh, it's like... Uh, taller up and down and shorter left and right and um and you can do that most tripods especially if you don't have like a an l bracket or arca swiss mount you may have a, a less expensive tripod where you screw in a plate into the bottom of your camera and then you connect that plate into the ball head and um and there's not really a way to mount the camera in portrait orientation with those really less expensive tripods but you can tilt the tripod ball head all the way over to the you know one side and get to that orientation. So if you don't have the the more expensive kind of tripods with the Arca Swiss heads and, and maybe an L bracket to mount your camera in portrait orientation right on top of the ball head, then that's a, a good solution to do there. You could take it in landscape orientation for sure. That's that's absolutely something you can do. It kind of depends on what usage you have for this portrait, but filling the frame with you is probably the objective here. You want to get as close as you can, like filling the frame with your head, probably head and shoulders would be the tightest you'd want to go. And if you want a full body, then you're going to have to fit, hit, fit your whole body in. And that's going to happen best. You're going to take best advantage of the resolution of your camera sensor by putting it in portrait orientation rather than landscape and then like cropping stuff off afterwards. 
Anything else there, Brent? That yeah, because what you're doing if you do it in a landscape, if that's your goal is to get that just you kind of shot, you're giving yourself some wiggle room and that's probably good because you know, it's hard to exactly know what framing you'll exactly get, but if you are cropping out the left and right sides, you're cropping out two thirds of your resolution. Oh, yeah. And, you know, unless you've got a Sony, you know, 60 some megapixel Sony, uh, that's just too much resolution. I think you're going to be sacrificing. The only other way to, I, I guess, to counteract that idea is if you're going for an environmental portrait, you know, let, sure. let's say you wanted to set this up in your garage and you've got your work table there and you've got some project that you're working on and you wanted to have an environmental portrait that way. Well, then I would say it totally makes sense to do a horizontal and you capture the environment then. That just totally changes up your lighting, changes up everything. Yeah, that's um, a different kind probably of Probably more than we want to get into in this episode, but right. there are just different re- reasons why you'd go horizontal. But yes, I would definitely suggest portrait as a um, portrait orientation as a as a starting point. Right. Yep. Okay. Very good. So next step number three in my 20 list step is to put the camera in live view mode. So this is where you, um, every camera is a little different, but you you somehow get to, you push, there's probably a button on the camera that switches from uh, from showing where you have to put it up to your eye, the viewfinder up to your eye to see it. And now you can see everything happening in front of the camera on the back out, the rear LCD screen as it's happening. Um, you're going to want that mode as you're setting things up for at least the first little bit. You can switch over to uh, to the other mode, switch back to the normal mode uh, later in the steps. But you, as you're setting things up, that's kind of an important step here to help you see what the camera's seeing by just looking at the rear LCD and not having to look through the, the viewfinder. Uh, step number four. See, I told you these steps can be little tiny things. So <laughs> that is a little tiny thing. Yeah, these thing. are good baby steps kind of a thing. Yeah, really, yeah, really uh, small baby steps. Uh, understand <laughs> the nuanced little details here for sure. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Number four, set an object. I I use a light stand for this. It's really like simple. It's tall enough either. I'm, two, I'm, I'm six foot two. So there's a lot of stuff that's not quite tall enough for me to get a really good idea about where my head's going to be when I get in the photo. So uh, a light stand, I can just make sure I set it up to be my same height. And, uh, and I can use it as a stand-in for me uh, while I'm getting stuff set up. But and we're not even doing that yet. What we're doing here is we're trying to establish where the right most portion of the image is going to be and where the left most, where, where the edges of the portrait. So I go and I put it on, the, on both sides. So number four is putting it so just barely showing up on the right-hand side of the portrait. And then number five, see tiny, tiny steps, is doing the same on the left. We're going to set up another light stand or another object of some kind so that you can barely see where it is on the left. Then that's going to show you in the room where your, you know, what your limits are on the left and the right of where you're going to be putting yourself in the image. Number six, set the camera drive mode to timer, probably 10 seconds. And this is where Brent's suggestion of the remote trigger is going to help you out because uh, you won't have to do this. But if you don't have a remote trigger, um, then the next or, or using, like you said, your like your iOS device or your your some some kind of remote trigger through like your phone or tablet. Uh, some some of your cameras support that too, and that would be even better, man. You, a lot of these steps would go away <laughs> if you can yeah. do that. Well, and you you can just like on my A seventy four a sixty four hundred, excuse me, 
you know, it gives me a great preview right, right there on the phone. I can line myself up, and oh, there's yeah. lots of things that make this life a little, this job a little easier if you have your phone. Yeah, even like tapping it. the focus and taking the sh- trip in the shutter, all of that would can be way easier. But we're we're not assuming you don't have any of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now, now you kind of know left and right where it is. You've got your camera drive mode set so that when you push down the shutter button, it's not going to immediately take a picture. It's going to do a 10 second timer and you can try the two seconds. Most cameras have a two second and a 10 second timer uh, in the drive modes. If you don't know how to do that, you're going to have to dig into your owner's manual and go figure out how to, how to configure your camera to make this happen. But, um, two seconds is too fast has been my experience. I've done this whole thing and two seconds that goes so fast. You're not in position. (laughs) So, and 10 is too long, but you need too long instead of too short. So, so you know, do 10, do the 10 second timer. All right. So now you're ready to try to figure out. So you kind of need to just pick an arbitrary position to put those light stands. They need to be barely in left and right view, but as far as depth in the frame, how far away from the camera are they going to be? You just take a guess. You don't know as you're initially doing it because you can't see where you are relative to the camera yet, unless maybe you have a flip out screen. And if you have one of those, some of those cameras have a flip out screen where you can flip it out entirely so you can see it, then you can use that to figure out where to position yourself. And that's going to be very, very helpful. But if you don't, let's assume you don't have that. Now you just take a guess, put those light stands a certain distance away from the camera and then um, set the 10 second timer and now go just take a shot. We don't care what the settings are. We don't care what the lighting is. We don't care what the focus is. None of that is important yet. We're just trying to figure out where should we be positioned in relation to how far away from the camera do I have to be so that I can fit my my body in how I want it to be. If it's head and shoulders, uh, then that you can fit that in. If it's full body uh, or some somewhere in between, how you're going to fit it in. You got to figure out the depth. So you t- you have it take the picture. You go back to the camera, look at the image. Okay, is it too far? Did I get too far away or did I get too close? Move those light stands and reposition and just trying to figure out how deep in the scene you need to be, how far away from that camera you need to be so that you can you can get the image that you want. And when you figure that out, when those light stands are set or the object you're using on the left and the right of the camera is set at the, about the right distance so that you end up with an image that shows your body frame how you want it, now that's where the tape comes into play. This is number nine, step number nine. Put an X or a line on the ground in tape of where it is you need to stand. I like to put it where my toes need to be so that I know I need to be like right on that line but uh, and position myself around it. So that's, that's what I did is just a line of tape so I knew where to be. And then um, kind of centering myself in between the light stand on the left and the right or, or whatever object you're using so that I could be in the middle. And, and that's a, a, a really helpful way to make sure you end up on that same point every time as you're taking those photos. And uh, and then, you know, try it a couple of times after you've had the line down. Go take another picture, like go trip the shutter with the 10-second timer and, and go get on that line. Make sure that you're consistently hitting the mark where it is that you're standing. So you, you can practice that a little bit. Uh, step number 10 that I came up with is to put a light stand or some other object right where that X is going to be. So this is now how we're going to finally get focus to be nailed down. Uh, So you're going to put an object to the stands in for you. It can be anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Just something that's tall enough to represent you. 
um, and in the same spot where you have been able to figure out you need to stand and put it there and then set the use the focus to set it. If your if your shutter button is the focus, the way that you get focus, if you press the shutter button halfway down and that's how you get focus, right after you do the focus, you need to switch the lens to manual focus mode so that when you press the shutter button for real all the way down, you don't mess the focus up. <laughs> it's got to stay stay the same, right? That that would be frustrating. <laughs> get that. <laughs> oh no, that it's just going back and forth. Yeah, that yeah, you got to lock down the focus. Sure. And this is a place where back button focus is really going to be helpful. If you don't know how to do that, I will put a link in the show notes to my photo talk article or podcast about back button focus. I love back button focus. Not everyone does. And if you don't, that's fine. You can do this. I just said how you can do it. You can do switch the lens to, to manual focus mode and and get it so that it won't be a problem. But uh, if you're using back button, it's just not even a problem because it's not connected to the shutter button anymore. Um, okay. So I, I think you should do that. Lock down your focus. Now I recommend before you're pressing the shutter button, get the light stand or whatever it is to you use to stand in for you. So you can get the focus, get that out of the way first. Um, I, 10 seconds feels like it's way too long for doing it, but if you have a task you have to complete before the 10 seconds is up, that's, it can feel really short. So I don't think you should have moving that object out of the way, be part of your 10 seconds. Just Get it out of the way. The focus shouldn't change now because you either put your lens in manual focus or you're using back button focus. And now press the shutter button all the way down and go stand on your spot. You already know where you're supposed to stand. Go stand on your spot and take the the picture. All right, so that is now, that's step number 13 that I just went through is doing that. Um, Also in step number 13, once you've taken the photo, now go look in live, go preview the photo on the rear LCD of the camera and zoom in. Don't don't look at it, uh, the whole image. Zoom in like on your eyes and take a look at the sharpness. See kind of what it looks like. Does it look like it's pretty sharp or does it look like it's out of focus? Maybe have your eyes and your nose and your ears kind of all visible at once and try to make sure that your eyes are the most the thing that's in most focus and your your not not your nose or your ears, because that means you've kind of missed focus on your eyes. And if it's not, then you need to go through that whole routine a few times until you kind of have focus nailed down. Figure out like, well, maybe I need to have my object just a little bit back from my line because my body is like my feet are on the top of the line, but my body's back a little bit further from that. You know, you got to you got to get this thing narrowed in. If after you do a few iterations of this and you're not getting sharp focus, I have a list of things, a checklist photographers can use for how to get sharp images that you can go and check out to see if there's some other reason that maybe the sharpness isn't there with what you're doing with your camera. So I'll put links in the show notes to the Photo Taco episode where I go over that, the the checklist for sharper images that you can have. One thing I want to jump in on here with as well, and that is on the Sony cameras, I have been working with that a little more. Uh, just yesterday, I saw this on that timer. Yeah. There's actually an option to say, take you know, ten second timer, but take five images or take three images with those ten second increments ah. between there, or five second increments or whatnot. So if you don't have that remote trigger option and you want to do this, that could be a really good way to get several shots, and then you can 
if you know you have to adjust yourself, move yourself a little bit more forward, a little bit more backward as you're getting these three to five shots. Good idea. And that might be a little more efficient. Sure. I've only seen it on the Sony. I've not seen that on other cameras. I just <laughs> thought I would toss that in there as an option. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, and an intervalometer is built into a few cameras. I know my, my Canon 80D has that, so I could do that right. with the intervalometer too. And good, that, yeah, good point that on that. Work. But uh, that's great. That's a good way to be able to try to do it. And that's another way you could like mess around with the focus too. If, if you're having a hard time, like maybe it's uh, the autofocus micro adjustment needs to be done and you need to calibrate your lens to your camera. This might not be the time to do it. But if you're having trouble where the, the camera's focus is, is like front focusing or back focusing, it's not focusing where you put the focus point then just move your body into position so yeah, it'll be in the yeah. right spot. Uh, it's kind of a more advanced thing. So if you don't know what all that is, you can check out that check for sharper images, that checklist that I go through that in, in that uh, podcast. Okay, step number 14 then. Now we're assuming you finally got the focus nailed where you want it. And you're not going to change that. You're not going to touch that for the rest of this time. Now, up to this point, we didn't mention any camera settings because they really didn't matter. Uh, you, you could really kind of do anything you wanted at this point. Um, although you might have started out, and maybe I should have, have mentioned it right at, the, right at the beginning so you were kind of working on it. But these settings for indoors are going to make stuff pretty dark. And that's why I didn't suggest it right at the beginning because you probably have to add light. But we need to kind of get a dark frame for comparison's sake with the rest of the steps. So 14, step number 14, I'm recommending you set your aperture to F8, your shutter speed to 1 160th of a second, and your ISO to 100. Just a good generic starting point. I got actually those starting point numbers from Connor Hibbs. So <laughs> that's uh, this is where he starts with all of his shoots. He starts at F8, goes with a shutter speed of 1 160th of a second and ISO 100. So no matter what camera you're using, those are pretty safe settings for, for studio kind of lighting and a good starting point to be able to, to get going. So I, I suggest you do that. Then number 15, step number 15, take a shot with those settings with no flash. Don't, don't have any flash on yet. Get on your mark. Your focus should already be set. It's going to be dark. It should be. It should be a little dark in doing it. It should be underexposed. And that's okay. We want to see how it compares with when we add light from our flashes to do it. And if you're going to use window light at this point, maybe you should have like the shades drawn <laughs> or something covering the window if window light's going to be lighting your image so that uh, we have this initial underexposed frame to be able to compare with future frames that we're going to take. Yeah. And if it's completely black, then you probably should adjust some of your settings. Agreed. I think we're just looking for a dark frame, right? Right, right. Slightly not like underexposed. completely black frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if it's totally dark, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> so if it's totally dark, open up that aperture a little bit. Bring bring up the, the aperture, uh, open it up to like, you know, five, six, four, something like that. And, and take another frame and see if that's a more acceptable thing with without any additional light. Um, or, or maybe adjust your ISO, but it's probably fairly important to keep that shutter speed pretty well locked in where it's at. Yeah, yeah. Some cameras... Okay, yeah, it's, it's totally fair point. I, I have this in the detail and some other steps later, but we'll, okay. I'll, I'll tell you about like aperture and, and shutter speed. Like what would make you change those as you're evaluating the images from yeah, frame okay. to frame. All right, so let's let's go to the next one. Um, now I want you to add flash on a light stand, just one. Even if you have multiple flashes, just add them one at a time. 
trying to figure out which light is doing what and where you should change it when there's multiple lights can get really tough. Uh, especially inside of a room, you have walls that lights can bounce off of and it can be challenging. So just adding one light at a time and having a specific purpose. The first light is going to be, you know, everyone calls it, it's, it's the key light. It's the main light. It's going to usually be the one that's most power, that's got the highest power setting. Set that up either camera left or camera right. Uh, on a light stand. I don't recommend you do it on top of the camera that at, that produces really flat looking results and, and something that is not really up for a professional self uh, portrait. So camera left or camera right, just outside of the frame. It needs to be as close to you as you can get it, as long as it's got a modifier on it. And that's what we talked about just uh, at the top there. Softbox is awesome for this really good for for doing this but a shoot through umbrella is much less expensive and would work really well too to be able to have that be your modifier and change it one of the differences is the softbox controls the direction of the light way better and puts it where you are wanting it to be whereas an umbrella kind of sprays light everywhere <laughs> so, it certainly does it's like a so it's a lot harder <laughs> to control where that light's going and it's going to bounce off of the roof and the walls and and yeah. all over the place and uh, a softbox modifier is is very much preferable in this case for what you're trying to do here if you've got it if you don't get out that umbrella what you don't want to do is use a naked flash. That's, well, sorry. You could also use a naked flash, but then you're going to want to bounce it off of a wall for sure. You want to make, we want to make these, the light source as big a light source as we can get it relative to you. And when it's coming from the flash and you point the flash directly at yourself, that's a itty bitty tiny little light source that does not produce flattering light. It produces really harsh lighting, harsh shadows. It's not a, a good thing to do there. So if you don't have a modifier at all, try bouncing it off of a wall or at the roof, the ceiling, and um, and see how you can make that work for your portrait and get yourself kind of close to that wall too that you're going to bounce it off of. Uh, if you're using the window, you need to get yourself kind of distanced away from the window so that you get the nice results we've been talking about. Brent, what you, you said you wanted to mention kind of modifying the window light. What do you, What do you mean by that? Yeah, so if you are using a window as your primary source and you're not going to use a flash, we can turn that window into a softbox as well. But it does kind of depends on what types of shades or drapes or whatever you have on there. Most of us, if we have you know, these shades, uh, you know, whether they're blinds or what have you, they're intended to really block the light. And so they're a little bit heavy. So if you were to have some type of, you know, a very thin sheet, or maybe you just have some uh, very wispy type decorative uh, curtains that can, you know, set, just put that over the window. So it is a little bit of a scrim, a little bit of a blocking or a little bit of a transmission of the light. Also, what I've used actually is tracing paper. Now, tracing paper usually isn't that big, so you have right. to tape up several pieces of tracing paper on the window. But tracing paper can be a really good element that diffuses the light enough, yet lets enough transmit through, and you still have a lot of light coming through that window. Right. I have actually used a thin white cloth before, too. Yes, thin white cloth. And for some macro work, I've also done... Uh, you know, like those clear uh, plasticky type bins that you just a storage bin. Oh, right, right. I'll just set that up in front of the window and then that is a diffuser as well. And then you put the the orange or whatever it is I was shooting 
uh, on the opposite side of that. And obviously that element is out of frame, but that also can really be a great diffuser. Uh, certainly those items can affect the color temperature of your light, just like sure. any flash or any softbox would also affect the color temperature. So as long as it's not like super crazy colored with, you know, maybe it's super <laughs> pink or it's right. whatever, uh, super green or whatever, you're going to be fine. You're going to be able to correct for that in post-production with your white balance adjustment. Right. Okay. So if you are, if you have the luxury of using flash on a stand, I already said you want to get it as close to you as you can without it being in the frame, uh, as long as you can put a softbox on there or a, an umbrella. Then um, you, I, I suggest that you get it so that the center of the... Uh, of the modifier, the center where your flash is, is about six inches above your head, above your eyes, and then point it down towards you and uh, and then have it be as close as you can to the frame and put the f- initial flash power, try something like 164th, probably way underpowered at that level, but every flash has a different power level. So I can't say for sure, like, you know, put it at, at one over eight and, and you're good or it, they're all different. So you you have to play around with it. That's, that's the nature of how this is. And once you get a lot of experience with your lights, you'll know where you should start. But if you've not really done a lot with this, try it at 164 with it being that close. And then this is where it's going to be helpful to compare it to the previous frame. We took that one frame where we deliberately wanted it underexposed because we want to see what the light is doing. And at 164th power, it shouldn't be a whole lot different, but you should be able to see the impact of the light and then start changing the power up. Start going up from there, 132, 116, 18. Start increasing the power and comparing the frames to see what's happening as you increase that light and decide where you want the power level to be. I wouldn't change the positioning of the light much. You may be going forward and back like between you and the and the your your model you <laughs> between you and the camera, <laughs> changing where it is in the you know front to back from between the camera and you, uh, the distance that it is away. Uh, you may want to change that a little bit as you're kind of watching what the shadows are doing on your face. Um, but but that's that's the only positioning I would change. I'd still want it as close as I can possibly get it without being in the frame. And, um, and you know, the, the height of it being like I just recommended. Um, okay, so step number 17 that I came up with is uh, taking a test shot and, and comparing it with the one before. So that's, I already kind of walked through that one. Number 18, if the background is too sharp and distracting, and that could be the case in your room, maybe, you know, you are definitely the emphasis of this photo. You're not one of those environmental portrait shots that Brent talked about or in some beautiful scene that's, it's uh, it meaningful to you. If that's not the, there's no point to the background. You just kind of want the background to go away or not be, uh, be seen. It, it, one of the best ways to do that is to have you be in focus and the background not be in focus. And so, um, so if, if it's too sharp, if you're using crop sensor camera, this can be a little more challenging. Um, if it's too sharp, then open up that aperture a little bit. And as you do that, if you got your lighting to where it was, uh, where you liked it, you're going to have to uh, decrease the power of your light 
and to to compensate for opening up that aperture. So opening up the aperture for people who are newer to this, it's a tough thing. It's an inverse mathematical relationship. So that means decreasing the number is opening up the aperture. And then that because the aperture gets is opened wider, that means you it's letting in more of that flash light as it's doing that and you need to decrease the power of your flash accordingly. Number 19 in my 20 step process um, is to, if you get to the point where you've raised the flash power all the way up, and this, this is what we talked about on kind of changing your settings to compensate for things. If you've got it all the way up and it's still like just not enough light and you're struggling with that or the window light is maybe too weak, it's probably not, it's probably gonna be too strong and you gotta, you gotta find a way to dampen it down. But if it's too yeah, weak, uh, then, then the, the thing to change for that is aperture, not really the, uh, well, I should say for the flash, if you're, if you're at the limits of your flash or at full power and it's not enough, you probably don't have a close enough is probably really the problem. But if you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if, if you do get to that point and for some reason it's just not enough to like really overcome the ambient light, then, um, then the aperture is the number that you change with, with flash to affect the, the impact of the flash power. The shutter is what you change to affect the impact of the ambient light in the room. You can decrease the shutter speed from that 1 1 60th of a second if you need to add more ambient light. If you want the light of the room itself to show up more and then just add a little with flash, you can go a little bit slower. You're on a tripod, so it's it's really just going to be up to how still can you hold yourself as you're posing for this photo. Uh, you can go slower. You, what you can't do is really go a lot faster. If you're getting too much ambient light in, that's how you control the ambient light is, is increasing the shutter speed. And you don't want to go past your max sync speed on your camera with the shutter speed, which is different by every camera. So I can't tell you what that is exactly for your camera. You could just like, if you Google max sync and that's S Y N C max sync speed, and then your camera name and, and model, then uh, you'll be able to find out what that shutter speed is. And you can't go over that or the flash will, you'll start getting like these black bars in your image with your flash not being able to be there for the entire, uh, the as the shutter goes over the camera. And it, it's a complicated topic. I don't want to get into very much here, but, but there, there it is. Brent, would you well, I'll, I'll put a uh, link in the show notes. There's a great video by the slow-mo guys yep. on YouTube and they go through that whole thing. Yeah. And um, they have a Canon 7D that they use and it really shows you very clearly what happens when you have too fast of a synchronization speed, too fast of a shutter speed beyond the sync speed of what your camera supports. We just want to make sure that both of those curtains of the of the shutter are fully open when that flash fires. And that's what a slower speed is going to guarantee for you. And that's why 160th, pretty much every camera is at least that. Some, like you said, are faster. But I don't know of any camera that's actually slower than that for a synchronization speed. Right. Certainly they might exist, like some of the medium format, old school medium format film cameras that don't have the leaf shutters. They have the, the standard uh, uh, focal plane shutters. Those would be slower, but otherwise, 160th is a really good number. Right. So the, the key to remember, if, if you're kind of trying to, to make a mental image of this, the shutter speed controls ambient light. 
and the aperture controls your flash, how much of your flash shows up in the photos. So um, the, the only thing to also add to that, depending on the exact balance of your ambient light, aperture can, it will allow more of that in. It's just we're usually uh, so dark that it's not that much of a deal, not much of a big deal because it can affect your your ambient as well but uh that is one way to separate it out to for sure because your shutter speed will have no effect on your flash right and then the the iso affects all of it so if if you need more flash power you're kind of at the limits of your aperture it's hard to imagine this being the case but if if you're there somehow ISO would be the next thing. Or if you want to have your flashes recycle faster, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, then uh, then increasing your ISO 200, 400, even as far as 800 potentially means you can get those cycle times to go way faster because you'll, be, you'll need way less power on the flashes to get there. Uh, so, so those are the kind of the ways that you adjust things. We started off at F8, 1 one sixtieth of a second in ISO 100. Especially crop sensor shooters may want to go to more like F5, 6, or F4, maybe an F2, 8, just to try to get the background to be blurred out a little bit. Um, but you, you've got to play around with your exposure and get the light set so that it's, it, uh, it all complements each other the way that you want it to. Um, now, the last step, step number 20, was if your shadows on your face are still just too bright, like you like the way the light looks, the highlights and the brightest parts look, we don't have big hot spots on your face and, and you like how that looks, but the shadows are still too big, then you probably still, your light source probably needs to be bigger is my first suggestion there. You probably need to get your light source closer to the subject. You need to find a way to get that light closer to you as you're posing in the photo. If you're using window light, that means you got to get closer to that window and then adjust things as necessary to make it so that you can, you can reduce how bright it is on the photo by using a modifier on the window to kind of block the light a little bit. Uh, but if you still are, are struggling and, and you have that light pretty close, then the next thing to change is to try to add a reflector or a second flash on the opposite side of the first flash or the window. And uh, a, a, a good reflector is great for this to be able to just lighten up those shadows a little bit and make it so that they're not as dark. So, so that's a, another thing you can add there bounce back some of that light onto the opposite side of your face and and lighten those up just a touch and that that really helps it the goal is not really to eliminate the shadows that adds definition to your face that adds it so that you it, it really makes the professional look when there is some shadow there we don't want the flat look we don't want to completely eliminate the shadows but it's uh it's nice to have them be not very defined and have a, such a gradual change from the brightest part of of where it is on your face to the darkest part is very gradual and not uh, not in complete darkness. Okay, so those are my twenty steps. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll we'll see uh, see what people think. See if if Kenny if that helps you. I'd love to know if that helped you out and if you you've got that. Um, th those are good. So we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes. There's lots of stuff we talked about as other resources to help you understand things if you didn't get it in those 20 minutes. Um, what do you think, Brent? We have time. We had some stories we wanted to talk about. Do you think we had time for that? 
Yeah, I think we got time for two of them, maybe. Okay, do you want to pick? What's the first one you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. Um, Cannon killing potentially the multifunction bar. <laughs> All right, I like this one. Okay, so there. this is a story that comes from our friends over at F-Stoppers, and they just made an observation that I think any of us could have made, and that is that uh, with the EOS R, when, they released, when Canon released that first full-frame mirrorless body that they created, the EOS R, they had a new control on the back of that camera. They call it the was it the multifunction bar? Yeah, that's what it is. The I, multifunction I so, yeah. bar. And I guess the idea of that was supposed to be that depending on kind of what mode the camera's in, how you what you're kind of shooting, it ha- it can take on different roles. It can be a different function based on what you're setting. And it was kind of touch-based, and uh, you could like slide your finger across it and, and have a, a touch sort of motion to be able to change, use that control to change settings on your camera. And um, I kind of thought it was maybe an interesting idea. I, I liked that Canon was reaching for something new. That was a good thing. Yeah. I, you know, they're, they're trying to, to innovate a little bit and, and figure out we have new controls that we're used to with smartphones, you know, flooding the, the planet. We're all used to using touch for a lot of things now. How is it we can really use touch besides just on the LCD screen? Is there another way we can apply like a touch-based control to the camera body uh, for photographers to use? So I kind of liked that they were trying it out. I think, if I remember right, and the article here doesn't say it, Brent, I, I don't think they put it in the RP. Is that right? Do you know? The, no, that's correct. The, the, uh, the, the R is the only one that has it. And also the upcoming 5 or R5, I think is what they're calling it. Uh, that does not have it as well. Right. They're going back to the multi-controller that has been on many cameras, the 5D Mark IV, for instance, where you have that little kind of like a joystick type item. And, you know, that's what we're used to. And in something like this, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like with you, I'm... I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that they were trying to be innovative and trying to, you know, be as have a subtle shift in this idea. I have a feeling that we're going to see it come back again at some point in the in the future. Maybe it'll be on the front side to where you're touching it not with your thumb but with your index or middle finger. Uh-huh. Maybe it will be somewhere completely different. I don't know, but I have a feeling we'll see something like this come back at some point in time. It's just the market, I, I think Canon's opinion is the market wasn't ready for it or isn't ready for it to be continued. Yeah. And, or and maybe, it'll grow on people. Or maybe is, decided... Is my prediction, I guess. Or maybe decided, yeah, that were, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> or like, maybe, they, yeah, maybe it's just like, eh, Yeah, that didn't no work. More. <laughs> we gave it a shot. It didn't work. Yeah. Uh, another thought I had was the EOS R5 is definitely targeting the 5D market, right? The, the users yes. that have 5Ds today. And so in order to get people to convert from the 5D they have over to the R5, one of the things that's going to be kind of uh, helpful in that conversion, I I don't think it would be a deal breaker necessarily, but helpful is having the body layout be exactly the same as they've been used to for so many iterations and is is muscle memory at this point, right? Photographers just they they know they exact their fingers already do what it is they need to do just based on thinking about it. <laughs> right. So so I think that's an important aspect. And if they had if they carried forward something like this, 
I do think that it may not be a showstopper. It may not be like the reason that a photographer is like, oh, I can't use that camera because it has that function bar thing on it. Um, but it, it, it might be yet another reason <laughs> that they would right. list of saying, I can't go to this camera. It doesn't work for me. So I, I kind of think, you know, Canon, it's probably right for them to take the safe route and make sure that they give every possible reason to move to the R5 when that comes out for those that use a, a 5D today. And, and I, I think that's good. Uh, I never used the multifunction bar myself, so I can't say whether or not I thought it worked well. I do see in the uh, article from F-Stoppers that they're saying there were lots of users complaining that they inadvertently hit it a lot. <laughs> it right. just kind of happened as they were using the camera, and that was a problem because it was changing settings on the camera when they didn't intend to. So maybe another reason that Canon's like, yeah, I, we tried it. It wasn't a great idea. <laughs> Okay, um, let's talk about. I want to talk about this this uh, this one, the second story we had in here, Brent. Sure. And that's the an, a post from Lens Rentals where they kind of went away from their usual material talking about lenses, and they have just a ton of uh, things that photographers can talk can can check out. Uh, during this period of social isolation that we're all going through, a bunch of free or very inexpensive resources that you you can use right now, and you can check out to uh, to educate yourself or or you know learn a little bit more about photography. Something that we've always strongly strongly encouraged. Way better investment to spend a little bit of money on some kind of training or resources to help you better use the camera you have today than going and upgrading your camera. That's uh, th This is way more helpful and, uh, and, and something that I, I highly recommend. So I wanted to make sure that everyone had the link to that because there's just a ton of resources that are mentioned on the page. And my dude out of the week is going to be something to add to this too. So so uh, highly encourage that everyone go and check that out. They even have some financial resources. So if you are a photographer who uh, really can't do your job right now, and most of you can't, then there's some financial resources of some things that you could check out in the way of like unemployment relief funds and grants and and creative capital stuff. So so go check that out. If you are a photographer who has a lot of time on your hands, you can improve your skills and uh, for either free or very inexpensive kinds of things there. Anything else there, Brent? No, I think, yeah, you, you got it right. There's just so many things there. It's a great link. And when when I first saw this, I was like, yeah, like many of these, some of them are already used and some of sure. them uh, definitely going to be looking up. So it's definitely a good resource. Absolutely. All right. So I just want to make sure everyone kind of got pointed to that. Uh, I think, Brent, let's, let's talk about the photo contest and, and close yeah. up this episode. So photo contest for everyone. If you didn't hear it last week in the last episode, then I want to repeat it here again. Make sure you all know we we really want to encourage all of you to uh, leverage this time. You go find those free resources and use them. But we'd love to have your creative juices flowing. We want to help you with that. And so we have a number of prizes here for a photo contest that we're running through the end of April nineteenth. And uh, the, here's the prizes: a thirty minute. And the the first four prizes here are going to just be randomly given to. Um, to one lucky li uh, person, listener, that we do want it to be listeners of the show, one listener who just submitted an image to the contest. We don't really care what the image is. 
I mean, we want it to be something you create. It has to follow the rules. I should say there that. It has go. to follow the rules. But it's not a like best of or you have to have some certain level of quality. If, if you have a qualifying image where you followed the rules and then you're entered into this contest and one of you will get a 30-minute mentoring session with Brent. One of you will get That's a 30-minute mentoring session with Connor. One of you will get a 30-minute photography business mentoring session with Erica Kay. And one of you will get a 30-minute editing session with me. I'll show you how it is I would edit one of or several of your images. Um, then we'll have two other things. Um, all of those will also be entered for a chance to have your image make the top 10. And we will share that top 10 to our Facebook group. We'll put them in the show notes of a future episode. And we may go through them in a future episode. We'll see, we're going to try to get as many of us on it at one time as we can. And, uh, and just kind of, you know, evaluate why it is these images were made the top 10. What about them? What made them special about those, those top 10 images? And then uh, we will pick a best of photo contest winner. And that person, the artist who creates that image and follows all the rules <laughs> to do it, uh, will have the opportunity to come on the show with us and be able to kind of talk about how they created the image if they want to. They don't have to. If some of you out there are like, I don't want to do that, then that's fine. You can turn it down. <laughs> but but if you want to come on the show, uh, spend a little bit of time with any of us and and talk about your image, we would love to do that. And that's what we'll we'll do with the, the one that we decide is the best of the, the, the photo contest. Okay, with that said, here's the rules. You got to follow these rules. You have to create the image between March 19th and April 19th. Uh, so it has to be posted over to Flickr. And we have a link to that in the show notes. There's a Flickr group there. Um, you also have to tag your image on Flickr with a tag, hash, uh, pound sign creative juices. The pound sign has to be in there. That way we know it's a listener. We're not publishing that in the Flickr group itself. We put all the rest of the rules there, but we're not publishing this little detail there. We want to make sure you're a listener. And so uh, we're only putting it in the show notes and saying it in the episode with that. To do that, you have to go to your image itself in like your photo stream. You go find the image that you are wanting to, to share. And then in the lower right, there's the ability to add a tag to it. And you'll just type in there, um, pound sign creative juices all lower all together and uh, and save that tag on your image and then it will be there as we look for that in the in the images that get shared to the group uh, so that tag is really really important your image is not actually entered unless it has that tag on it you can only share one image per day Flickr restricts you to that uh, it's another reason we decided to use Flickr here. And the images need to be safe for work. You all know what that means. We don't need to talk about anything more there. It has to be safe for work. Uh, okay, so those are the basic rules. Something may be wrong because <laughs> after we announced it, I know we had a whole bunch of people join the group that you have to be in on Flickr to do this, but I haven't seen a single image submitted. So I don't know if there's a problem with the group submissions that are there or what's going on. Um, if one of you tries to post an image or if you've already done that and you and it and I'm not seeing it, uh, I'd love to have you like, you know, try to get in touch with me on Facebook or send an email over to info at masterphotographypodcast.com saying you tried to do it. And uh, let's see if we can work out what's going on there because I haven't seen a single image and I'm pretty sure some people have tried. So we got to figure out what's wrong. 
Uh, and that's the, the photo contest. So we'd love to have you now use the 20 steps I outlined and create yourself a professional self-portrait too. So go go and try that out. Um, okay, so now doodads of the week. Brent, what is your doodad? Mine is the Magewell USB Capture HDMI 4K Plus. Wow, that rolls off the tongue. I had to read that very carefully. And um, <laughs> what it is, in a nutshell, it's a device that allows me to take the 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 HDMI signal out of my camera, Canon, Sony, whatever, if it produces an HDMI signal. Okay. And I can then convert that to a video in signal to my computer so I can very easily record the video and tech capture that to my computer. Of course, I could just record that to the camera itself. But what I'm looking to do is save myself a step because at the university, I've got a whole lot of online material I need to produce now because we're all online until April 27. So this is going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, this is going to save me a step and make me a little more efficient so I don't have to keep popping that memory card out and plugging that over in and there. And I, I'm, I can capture straight to the computer, which is really nice. Okay. All right. It doesn't make it into a webcam though, right? I, 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 I could use it sort of as a webcam. Basically, I have it as a standard uh, feed, if you want to call it that. Okay. So uh, any, any software should be able to pick it up and say, there's another camera device, and then it'll pick that feed up and feed it in. So okay. I could use it as a webcam, yes. Hmm. All right, very good. That's cool. I, I don't know that my camera even had... Well, anyway. All right. So that that's a cool device. How much is it? Do it's, you know? it's kind of expensive. It's $459. <laughs> Holy it does moly. the 4K, though. You can buy one that doesn't do the 4K, and that's only $300. And they have other devices as well. I just happened to pick this one up literally a couple of years ago, and I barely used it. And then finally... Um, you know, we, we have this directive of everything going online for the next several months. Yeah. And it's like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to pull that sucker out and I'm going <laughs> to get my money's worth out of it because it's going to save me some time, I think. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, that is, that's probably outside of my budget for buying something like this, but uh, it's good to know. Good to know that it's there. 4K, be able to leverage your the, the full capabilities of your camera that way. All right, my doodad of the week is adding to the resources I already mentioned that are in the show notes here for those free resources for photographers, free or inexpensive resources that you can use to learn. And the thing that came to mind is um, 30 days of Photoshop with Flern. This is totally free and 30 different lessons from Aaron Nace. He's a guru of Photoshop. He, he knows more about Photoshop than I've, I ever will. <laughs> He's forgotten more about Photoshop than I've learned. <laughs> and uh, and he, he's a phenomenal teacher. He does a great job with it. And so if, if you have never done Photoshop and you got some time on your hands right now, this would be a serious good way to go and learn how to use Photoshop. The lessons even have images that he's provided that you can download so you can work on exactly the same image that he is as he's demonstrating a technique. It's a really good way to be able to get to learn Photoshop totally free. And, uh, you know, they did it before all of this, uh, this current pandemic came out. They just were trying to help photographers get started. They do offer even more training than that which is uh, an annual subscription. 
I something like a hundred dollars, I think, somewhere thereabouts. So it's very something inexpensive like for that too. And if you want to get twenty percent off, uh, you can use Photo Taco Twenty or Brent. You have Latitude Twenty or something. There's as well. Latitude Twenty and there's Master Twenty. Oh, Too ma- bad you can't combine them all together. Master, let's 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 have that be the one here. <laughs> master Twenty, Master Twenty will be our Master Photography coupon code. So if you do like after you've done the thirty days, that one's totally free, no subscription required. It's just like a YouTube playlist, and oh, it's just awesome though. So you, you really need to go check that out, and the link will be in the show notes, or you can just search. 30 days of Photoshop, and I'm betting this will come up pretty quick <laughs> at yeah. very top in the list. Um, and then and and go do that. And if you decide you really like how Aaron teaches stuff, and I'm pretty sure you will, then use that code, that coupon code MASTER20 when you're checking out. If you're going to go buy the annual, annual subscription and your first year, you'll get a 20% off discount. That'd be great. Support us and support Flurn. All right. That is the end of the show. We want to remind you all, the show notes can be found over at masterphotographypodcast.com. There's a a button now on the main page there when you load it up that says show notes. So you can't miss it. You'll be able to go find it and be able to see the show notes there. Our Facebook group is Master Photography Podcast. You can just search in Facebook for Master Photography Podcast. It'll come up. You do have to answer a question to join that group. And we will not let anyone in who does not answer the question. I see it all the time still of people who are asking to join the group and do not name a host of the show. So Jeff will work and Brent will work or any of the others who've been on, you know, in the last couple of years, any people, anyone who's been on the show, their their name will work. That'll let us know that you're a listener, not a bot or a spammer, and we can let you in. Uh, You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. I just released here in the month of March. My episode was all about the Topaz Denoise AI plugin and how it compares with noise reduction tools in Lightroom and Photoshop. So if you're interested in that, go check that out, phototacopodcast.com. My Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, handles or, or links will all be there in the show notes too. Brent, where can people find you? Find me over at my website, brentbergherm.com and my podcast, latitudephotographypodcast.com. I've got a standard Facebook page. And of course, there's groups for the Latitude Photography Podcast as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Brent Bergherm. Excellent. All right. Keep safe, everyone. We we uh, we hope that you can all be safe throughout these challenging times we live in. But we want you to get, be creative still. Go and enter a photo into that contest. We'd love to have it there. And we'll see you all again in another seven days. 